Well, no one's going to listen to the second half of this now because. Uh... No, 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 definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All the donations are down to zero now, I think. <laughs> It's Friday, November the 26th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Darach, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Dick Lawyer Jumbo Desert Ranger, and with me today <laughs> is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Official Svartabit Boa. <laughs> okay, let's dive into your job title first because that okay. sounds uh, <laughs> as a very yeah really as the most interesting of. The, There's an awful lot to unpack here, isn't it? This is because <laughs> yeah. one of um, you spotted this on Twitter. Actually, to be fair, one of the TV correspondents was uh, in northern Iraq on a, on a job and spotted a supermarket that looked very very familiar in northern yeah. Iraq because it was called. Jumbo, Yumbo, yeah, and not only did it have the name Yumbo, it also had like bright yellow signs. It had, you know, all of the paraphernalia you associate with uh, the Netherlands' most garish supermarket chain. So he <laughs> exactly. went inside and uh, asked around and said, "Are you aware that you basically just copied a Dutch supermarket and plonked it here in the desert?" And uh, the guy claimed not to be aware, but uh, it can't have been coincidence. We we're kind of speculating how this must have happened. That maybe kind of a yeah. A supermarket went bust or something, and they just uh, shipped all of the, you know, all, all the fixtures and fittings uh, on a container ship, and it ended up in northern Iraq, and somebody used it to build their own supermarket. Yeah, because because they uh, everything was 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 coming from Jumbo. Everything had the Jumbo brand name on it, and the the exact same logo yeah. as you have in the Netherlands. So the freezers and the refrigerators and everything was was uh, had, had the name Jumbo on it. So it was a very peculiar site. <laughs> and I was also thinking uh, one of the major sponsors of Max Verstappen is Jumbo Supermarkets. Mm. And if you look closely at his helmet, he has a little the, yeah the little uh, Jumbo logo on his helmet. So I was just thinking. Wondering if there are people uh, in that northern Iraqi village who sometimes watch <laughs> Formula One and then see all of a sudden uh, the name of their local supermarket on the helmet yeah. of Max Verstappen. <laughs> um, uh, I'm just very curious if that sometimes happened, uh, and I really want to know. But my theory is that there is some dodgy um, uh, buyer. Uh, somewhere in the Netherlands, probably a Prince of Orange who <laughs> just buys all the interior of, of yeah. bankrupt supermarkets and then just sells them to who, some some place in the world uh, if someone needs a, needs a fully decorated uh, supermarket. So I, I'm wondering how many jumbo supermarkets <laughs> are there somewhere in the world? Yeah. Uh, is there one in, in, in Bogota or uh, somewhere else? I'm, yeah. uh, I, I think we can do a little... Uh, yeah. I think John the Mall should, should, uh, should uh, turn this into a, uh, into a television uh, format i think yeah yeah there'll be jumbo supermarkets popping up all around from baghdad to botswana yeah <laughs> exactly. or, or of course i mean it cannot be a coincidence that this supermarket popped up around about the time that um <laughs> uh, someone else known for his weeder dealing skills uh, was uh, uh pitching up in northern iraq uh, which is of course um our favorite football manager dick lawyer he was dick briefly lawyer, yes. the manager of the iraqi football team uh, around Who that knew? time so <laughs> i just wonder if you know if, if, if dick on his way down to baghdad just uh, hitched up a trailer full of um, uh, stuff he'd picked up at an auction from a, a bankrupt supermarket and they're uh, taking it with him. Yeah, yeah. yeah I saw, uh, I completely missed that he uh, became the manager of the national Iraqi uh, football team. Yeah. I just saw the headline that he was sacked after, what was it, three weeks or something? Yeah. Very, very short period. Very of short time. time, yeah. 
so yeah, I, <laughs> I it was very, very, very peculiar news, and I'm just wondering if there is now a jumbo somewhere in South Korea and mm-hmm. uh, in, in in Moscow. Yeah, in, in St. Petersburg. And, yeah, ev- everywhere yeah. where uh, Dick has managed football teams, which is just about every country in the world. When you yeah, break exactly, it down. yeah, yeah. And yeah. uh, uh, in Glasgow, of course, there must yes. be a jumbo there. Yeah, yeah sure. I mean, that, that's probably what uh, clinched it for Giovanni van Bronckhorst. <laughs> that he could buy it, yeah. And I wonder as well if the, if the jumbo in northern Iraq uh, stocks all the stuff that you get in jumbo in the Netherlands. So will, 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 will they do the, 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 um, uh, the pizzas with the sausage brooches <laughs> and the stop waffles? I think the people in Iraq are suffering enough, aren't they? <laughs> Uh, the correspondent, uh, I also asked him, and they, no, they don't have anything uh, jumbo-related right. uh, uh, stuff on, on sale. They just have the freezers. Okay, but they don't have the Snollabolicus socks either, hopefully. Because <laughs> hopefully the, for them not. The no. people in Iraq really have suffered enough. Yeah. yeah, And they don't play dire straits constantly you know, over the... Um... Well, actually, no. <laughs> no, no, no. They, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm wondering. That would be too much. Um, yeah, but uh, speaking of controversial characters... Paul, you've been uh, paying close attention this week, I think, to uh, the latest developments in Ongehoord Nederland's continuing campaign to restore traditional Svarte Piet. Yeah, well, uh, I think we mentioned this uh, two or three weeks ago. Yeah. Basically, uh, the traditional Svarte Piet, you, you, you barely see them anymore in mm. the Netherlands. Almost every uh, official parade, for example, uh, doesn't have a uh, uh, is, isn't completely Swarte Piet anymore. The the uh, they use the Sooty Peach, but there is one tiny little speck in yeah. in, in the Netherlands that is, that is offering it's, it's resistance like Asterix, against isn't it? What one village holding out against the, the Roman Empire? Exactly, <laughs> and that is uh, Ongehoord Nederland. It's a uh, if you know something about the public broadcasting system, basically everyone can can start one, and uh, if they have enough members, they 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 can have uh, broadcasting time on one of the public channels. And one of them that emerged is Ongehoord Nederland. Uh, it, it means unheard. Yeah, the the unheard Dutch people. That's mm-hmm. what they uh, claim to uh, who they claim to represent. Um, and they recently became an official broadcaster. So yeah. now they uh, are yeah. Making programs, yeah. and one of them is a alternative Sinterklaas journal. So, uh, yeah, for children, children watch the Sinterklaas journal as part of the uh, Sinterklaas festivities, and yeah. they. Um, uh, Ongehoord Nederlands also started an alternative one, which includes the traditional uh, 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 blackface mm-hmm. uh, Swarte Piet. But uh, it's not a very good success. <laughs> on YouTube, their videos, they, they broadcast now only on YouTube, their, their videos are only watched uh, a couple of thousand times. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, the videos that are mocking them on Twitter are, are watched uh, 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 yeah, a, a, a multitude Many of times. Many more that. times, yeah. Uh, yeah, many more times. It's uh, very interesting to see. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone also looked at the comments on the YouTube videos, and it showed that the, even the people that are, the, the the few people that are watching are not very happy with yeah. it because they think the the Swarte Peter are not black enough. <laughs> <laughs> They're complaining that they are too brown, and uh, yeah. they, they they should be really black and uh, pitch black. But yeah, um, yeah if you also if you have. Taking a look at at uh, uh, Pete, how how they looked like a couple yeah. of years ago, it was never completely black. It was always uh, brownish. So yeah, yeah. It's, th- that is the tradition, right? So uh, yeah, it's uh, 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 Ongoed Nederland isn't radical enough. For no, no, it's, it's, it's not. Yes, it's, it's not doing enough for, for racism in the Netherlands. It's, it's got exactly, to be. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and it's it's just very uh, amusing to see uh, that <laughs> yeah. the racists aren't happy enough. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're so, still um, kicking off even at Ongoed Nederland. On, even Ongoed yeah. Nederland has gone woke now, apparently. 
exactly yeah, according to its uh, its, few, its faithful few viewers yeah so, we are really living in curious times yes uh, indeed yeah <laughs> we're, yeah we're also also seeing this this is from the same sort of uh, coming from the same direction isn't it as um all the people this week saying that Villa Mengel had uh, was being paid by the security <laughs> services or that Tio Bode even vaccinated was actually genuine satire but uh, there are yeah. conspiracy theorists now who are turning on Villa Mengel and they think that he's he's in the pay of the of, of the establishment yeah, Willem Engel it's, is of course the the lead conspiracy theorist yeah. uh, in the Netherlands, and um, it, it, all these groups of conspiracy theorists are now accusing him of actually being an agent of yeah. the uh, uh, of the Dutch intelligence and uh, security service. And it's just the the, the most marvelous things that mm-hmm. you know you you have these conspiracy people, and they they see a conspiracy in everything. So yeah. even in their in their leaders, and as a re, as a response to that, or as yeah, as a, as a sort of joke people started to twist uh, 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 for example Thierry Boudet's claimed that he wasn't vaccinated yeah. so yeah uh, as a response <laughs> to that uh, Thierry Boudet is vaccinated was uh, trending for a couple of days now yeah. and um, Thierry Boudet responded by it with a double denial uh, uh, he, yeah. he said he was I will never not vaccinate myself mm. yeah that's what he said but yeah. in, in English you can say that that means that he will just never get vaccinated but in Dutch it is a double contradiction so that means it's that if you say never uh i never won't do that yeah. it means that you will actually do it so, no, so it's, it's uh, the same in english it's a double negative and, uh, is it yeah, oh i yeah. thought uh, i thought it was uh, no well oh, okay, it, it, uh, it kind of gets used that way but uh, technically yeah. if you if you if you negate a negative you you you, you get a positive so yeah yeah and anyway it is okay then of, i just uh, then yeah. i thank you for 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 telling me that i just uh, remembered my english lessons uh, <laughs> incorrectly because i was all i always thought that uh, that was allowed in english but apparently it's not so uh, thank you for this uh, uh, extra English lesson. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it, it it was really curious to see, and also a lot of people made jokes of uh, yeah, this is exactly what a vaccinated, a secretly vaccinated exactly. person yeah. uh, would say, yeah. and yeah, it's uh, and then you had all these people that are complaining that are saying we are we are fighting fake news with fake news, but yeah, it was just very clear that yeah. this was uh, satire and uh, yeah. not meant as an actual. Uh, statement or someone something that uh, uh, we wanted people to believe. It was yeah. just a joke. No, it's, but it's fun to see all these Thierry Baudet fans um, t- turning up on Twitter and uh, saying that, uh, shouting that you can't believe everything you read on the internet. That was quite revealing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was also. Yeah. As I said, we live in strange times. <laughs> Very strange times. Yeah. And speaking uh, of strange times, uh, we've had we've got uh, I think an outstanding op of the week uh, this week, uh, yeah. which which uh, like all the great op it kind of brings in a number of different op going back over. At least a decade. So, yeah. So, yeah. what is this week's op for the week, Paul? Yeah, I just have to say that we had to choose between this OPEF and the, and the one that we've discussed before, but mm. luckily we managed to. Uh, uh, we made the right choice, I think. To mention the other one, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to sneak it into the podcast. Yeah. Uh, no, but the official OPEF of the week is uh, comes from Rotterdam, and yeah, it's probably also my favorite OPEF of the year. Uh, yeah, as everyone knows at the end of the year we will have a special episode where we'll discuss the best ophefs of the year we nominate three of them and then the listeners decide uh, in a totally fair and unrigged election uh, which one uh, will win the esteemed title of the dutch news podcast ophef of the year 2021 yeah and and, And uh, on the subject of the rigged vote um should we do the announcement now about the the, 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 uh, announce a very exciting news to our listeners 
the term yeah, I was going to <laughs> yes well go, go, go ahead <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, uh, we will be joined by uh, Molly Quell yes. uh, our um, uh, our esteemed uh, beloved uh, esteemed um, uh, uh, podcast host uh, which uh, she, yeah, she left us uh, at the beginning of the year but she will return for this uh, for this special uh, which will come out in the uh, Christmas break um, for Patreon listeners, the, it will be available uh, a couple of weeks earlier, but uh, for the regular listeners, it will come out yeah, somewhere in, around in the new year, year, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, but going back to this week's uh, ophef, on Friday, right after we finished recording, the news came that several large animals in Dierade Blijdorp, uh, that's the zoo in Rotterdam, mm. uh, had tested positive with coronavirus. Uh, a number of lions showed uh, flu-like symptoms. They were tired, they even showed a light cough, and they didn't have an appetite. Mm. Uh, the big news, however, was that the most famous animal of the zoo also tested positive, and that's mm. none other than the silverback gorilla Bokito. And it's a very sad news, of course, but yes. yeah, as, as you say, it combines several <laughs> years of ophef. So it is, in a way, it's a very, uh, from a ophef point of view, it's a very beautiful story. It's a story. tremendous story. Yeah, It's a tremendous story indeed. Um, yeah, because Bokito, uh, the gorilla, he became world famous in the Netherlands in 2007 after he escaped his enclosure in the zoo. Uh, photos of the gorilla standing in between the tables of the zoo's restaurants went around the world back then. Uh, and mm. yeah, it, it, it was just major ophef back then in the Netherlands. And it turned out that Bokito's escape was an act of love mm. because uh, Bokito was frustrated that a guest who visited him on a daily basis uh, and who he regarded as uh, his partner uh, always left him. So yeah, he, he got just fed up with that. And at some point he just uh, decided to get her back. Mm. And uh, it, I believe this woman was bitten a couple of hundreds of times by the, by the gorilla. Uh -huh. um, uh, uh, she 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 uh, survived, but uh, yeah, was still very uh, traumatized, of course. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, after the Bokito Ophef, uh, his enclosure was rebuilt to ensure that he could never escape again, and that added a new word to the Dutch uh, lexicon, uh, mm -hmm. Bokito proof. Yeah. Uh, which actually means um, it is it is uh, safe from destruction and safe from vandalism. So yeah. it's not really it re doesn't really have doesn't to really do with Bokito, no, because Bokito is a very uh, um, loving, caring uh, gorilla. Uh, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, just guilty yeah. of a bit of a uh, bit of rough handling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So very sad that the uh, the 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 big animals uh, got infected with coronavirus. They mm. probably got it from an infected zookeeper, and they now are uh, put into quarantine. Uh, scientists mm. in the US are currently working on a vaccine for primates, but that's still in development stage. So Bokito and the rest of his family still have to wait for while until he can get his jab yeah especially as he's getting his jab in the netherlands so he'll probably have to wait <laughs> another six months after all the other gorillas in the rest of the world have been vaccinated <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> poor bokito yeah so bokito will be here yeah. so there'll be more outbreaks of coronavirus in bladorp no doubt and then they'll decide after a couple of months that the zoo has to close at half past four in an attempt to bring down the infection rate. Yeah, so yeah, this is really, as you said, one of these great ophefs where uh, you know you have an ophef of many years ago, uh, which is completely unrelated to what's happening now, and then yeah. all of a sudden it is connected with a recent development. And uh, yeah, th those are truly the best ophefs. Um, similarly, like uh, yeah, Ongo the Onroot Nederland interview with Pim Fortuyn, for example, yeah. which didn't win uh, for some reason the the ophef of the year mm -hmm. award uh, last year, but yeah. um, uh, uh, that was 
was my favorite, definitely yeah. uh, uh, my favorite of 2020. And also the joint strike fighter being sprayed with foam, which was the yeah, end of exactly. the entire decade, I think more than a decade, maybe 15 years yeah. of OPEF around the joint strike fighters. Yeah and, yeah, and especially because you know it costs so much money to yeah. develop the thing, and yeah. then uh, it, it it is brought in uh, in a in a in a in a in a celebration with yeah. this with this uh, foam, uh, yeah, watery arch, which turns out that uh, the, the 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 joint strike fighter can't uh, yeah. handle the foam yeah. because the chem chemicals burn through the wings. Yeah. yeah, it's just yeah, you can't make that up. If someone makes that up, <laughs> you think this is just too ridiculous. But yeah, it's it's just nice when it it happens in reality. Yeah. This week, more coronavirus restrictions are on the way for humans as a code black scenario looms in hospitals. Pictures of burning bicycles once again make the international press as riots break out across the country. Dutch football clubs enjoy their most successful European season for a decade. And we'll tell you how you can earn 45 euros an hour without having to work from home. Bars, restaurants and non-essential shops will close at 5 o'clock rather than 8 from Saturday. So too will gyms, museums, cinemas and theatres, but schools and colleges will stay open, despite the high infection rate among children, because education is too important to sacrifice. Those were the main recommendations of the government's outbreak management team in its latest advice this week to ministers on how to tackle the growing rate of coronavirus infections. And we'll find out at 7 o'clock on Friday evening, uh, so as ever the big news happens <laughs> after we've recorded the podcast, uh, but we'll find out whether the government will indeed adopt those measures. Prime Minister Mark Rutte and Health Minister Hugo de Jonge have brought forward a press conference that was originally scheduled for next week in response to warnings from the healthcare sector that we are on the brink of code black. That's the point when hospitals just don't have enough intensive care beds to treat everyone who needs one, so they have to decide on non-medical grounds who gets the intensive care bed. Yeah, so uh, a very grim... Uh, very grim. Uh, yeah. future coming up uh, but luckily for us as you say uh, the big news comes on Friday uh, afternoon where we will have of course a live stream on uh, of a live blog on Twitter yeah. uh, from a mystery tweeter so uh, if you uh, want to know what's happening you can always uh, follow that and of course uh, on DutchNews.nl uh, there will be a, a large article uh, summarizing all the uh, new measures so uh, yeah you can uh, read that if you want to know um, yeah, what the rules are which you uh, need to oblige to yeah. and also luckily for us these uh, all these measures um, uh, tend to leak out uh, a couple of days in advance exactly, so yeah, yeah. basically so everything what we mentioned it is expected it's officially not announced yet but you know this is probably what they're going to say anyway yeah th those are all the the headline measures and a little bit there'll be a few other smaller things that, that, that come in things like uh, they're talking about i think restricting the number of people you can have in your house further and uh, the size of yeah. groups outdoors but uh, yeah the, all, the, all the fine detail will be thrashed out over the next uh, 24 hours but the, 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 i think the main headline measures are the ones that we just mentioned so there seems to be a trade-off between um, closing the non-essential stops uh, shops from eight to five and uh, having the schools uh, open or yeah. s uh, keeping them open. Uh, what is that about? Can yeah, that's kind of been a discussion that? this week. Do you shut the schools? Um, and with all of the consequences that has for children and children's education, that uh, we've been finding out uh, from the first lockdown that it's had a really 
damaging impact on 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 children and that they're actually still kind of recovering all the ground that they lost uh, during the first lockdown so do you shut the schools because obviously there's high infections in schools the virus is spreading around among children or do you bring in other restrictions so that you can keep the schools open and that's kind of what they've gone for effectively so they have things like um you know having uh, all uh, shops apart from supermarkets and essential shops uh, closing at five i think the supermarkets will close at eight o'clock um but basically the, the um, education specialists are warning that shutting schools is itself a cold black measure because of the yeah. huge impact it has um, on, on children. Uh, you know, Michel de Winter of the University of Utrecht told Newsier this week that you know, deprived children will fall further behind and it's not a button you should press. And instead, the government should be looking at ways of making schools safer. So with masks in classrooms, better ventilation, disinfection measures, and maybe smaller class sizes. And it kind of begs the question why they aren't doing all this stuff already. You know, 18 months into pandemic, we're still talking about um, how you ventilate classrooms. And, it, it, and also, it seems to be the same discussion over and over again, right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. What we're talking about now with this sort of trade-off between closing schools and uh, yeah, ke- keeping other shops open. Uh, we had this discussion a year ago as well. It's a huge dilemma and, and, and they've got themselves into this really sticky position and partly because the, the infections didn't come down far enough after the Dunson met Janssen and they, yeah. you know, they, they abolished social distancing and uh, got rid of the mask mandate at the end of September uh, because you know infections had fallen a lot from July, but the July they're in, they, they hit this enormous peak, and they still hadn't really come down to the level they were at no. in June. Yeah. But I have to say, I mean, shut, we, shut we haven't recovered from that from those levels yet. So it's it just seems very. Uh, uh, unwise uh, to reopen society when you still have so much uh, s- such high levels of infections. Uh, what we what we've done in, in in September. I mean, I think that shutting the schools should be the absolute last resort measure you to, to, yeah. that you do. I mean, that's a your thing. And there, but, but there are other things you can do in the schools with the, the ventilation. I mean, if you, you know, why not, for example, give the give the schools a, a one extra week's holiday at Christmas time just to try and bring yeah. the infections down faster, or have you know um, fewer children in school at any one time shorter school days or have uh, give children one day off a week or something that's that's means they're still going to school and i think uh, we've seen yeah that, work uh, with half classes like we've done uh, yeah uh, uh, before yeah, yeah i mean shutting the schools all together is, is disastrous and i think you shouldn't do i think yeah. we've discovered that and also putting the lessons online which a lot of people say just just let them learn online the quality of education is, is so much worse you know that they can't yeah. the, the actual benefits you get from going to school physically can't be reproduced by just sitting at home on a computer and of course many families don't have access to that kind of equipment so they miss out i think i mean one of the things that we discovered when the lesson when the lessons went online was that some children just disappeared i mean teachers said there was one child just about one child in every class on average they just didn't see during the lockdown yeah you know if you don't have yeah. the support at home if you're a middle class family you have two parents at home and one can concentrate on the children while the other one works that's fine but a lot of people aren't in that situation if you're one parent family if you've got a low income if they there's mental health issues, whatever, in the family, then the children's education and their general well-being suffers enormously. Yes, um, but um, yeah, luckily, uh, like the countries around us, we are making a lot of progress with booster vaccines, aren't we? Uh, no, we're not, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, we're, I think we're the last country in Europe to start to get going on, on yeah. the booster vaccines practically. And it's, it is yeah, an area which where... It also finding... seems like a Groundhog Day scenario, right? It's, yeah. uh, it's, 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 the, it's the first vaccine uh, program uh, all over again. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're, again, we're, we're not going for the symbolic pricks. We're going for the you know, for, for, for the very, very late non-symbolic pricks. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's another area where finally the cabinet's realised that it needs to make a bit of headway. Um, and originally, remember, originally the booster vaccines weren't supposed to start until the first week of December. Um, yeah. And then Hugo de Jong um, magically found a way to start them a week ago and have a nice uh, high-profile protocol as well. Um, and the Medicines Council now says everyone over 18 should be offered a booster, starting with the oldest and then working down. At the moment, people over 80 will get their boosters this year. The over 60s will start in January and everyone else will be due in the spring. Uh, but the cabinet's also under pressure because the European Union is uh, thinking about bringing in a nine month expiry date for second vaccine doses. And that means if you've had your second jab more than nine months ago, you can no longer get a coronavirus passport. So you can't travel around Europe, you can't go into places in other countries, France, what for example. Um, so uh-huh. yeah, it's, it's a bit, and obviously uh, the last thing the Dutch government wants is to ruin everyone's holidays again this uh, the, this summer. <laughs> that would be frightful. Um, so exactly. Yeah, but at the same time, uh, the Dutch Parliament's expected to extend the time period for recovery certificates, uh, which at the moment is six months. So if you had an infection in the last six months, you can get a Corona check um, certificate. They'll extend that to twelve months. Um, which, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I don't think this is the wisest move necessarily, that uh, the vaccine will need to be renewed after nine months. But if you've had an infection, it lasts for a whole year. Um, given that we've got this problem with people setting up infection parties yeah. and now being told... Yeah, well, I, I, um, uh, I, I have no opinion on this because I'm not an expert. So yeah. I, 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 I rely on the expert opinion on this, but uh, I'm sure they, uh, they are making the right decision. I'm sure there's the a good scientific basis advice, for it. But, yeah. but I think in practical terms, if you have on the one hand, you, yeah. you know, natural immunity lasts 12 months and vaccine immunity is only good for nine months, you can guess what people are going to do. And maybe it would be, even if the science oh. backs that up, that it might be a, a wise move to just have you know the same time period for everything so there's no mm. perceived advantage in natural infection versus vaccination yeah uh, b- because of the uh, now i understand what you what you yeah. meant because of the infection parties that we've seen and yeah. the, the the infection kits that people buy exactly. on the internet yeah. in order to to they prefer then to to uh to get infected rather than uh, having a, a a a second or third a jab yeah. um Three months earlier. Yeah, yeah. Well, I just don't think there should be dis- there should be stimulation people- the disease industry. Basically, is, is yeah. my radical yeah. opinion yeah. here. Yeah, well, I I have a hard time uh, understanding or even believing that people are doing this. I mean, I heard <laughs> in media, but otherwise, I would I can't imagine that someone would buy a, an infection kit in order to get infected. So uh, I just uh, I'm still in a state of denying that this denial that this is an actual problem. So yeah, this uh, <laughs> I just assumed that this is not happening, but I know that this is probably uh, wishful thinking from my side. I'm afraid it might well be. Uh, also, yeah. the uh, one last thing on vaccination is that the European Medicines Agency has uh, given the green light to vaccinating children over the age of five. So mm. potentially, yeah. we may sometime in, I guess, 2025 or something, uh, the Dutch government might uh, start uh, rolling out vaccinations to uh, five to 11-year-olds, primary school yeah. children. Yeah, will probably take a long time. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, the Council of State isn't very impressed with the government's strategy, aren't they? No, there's a very critical report this week from the Council of State in its capacity as the government's legal advisor. This is all the background to this is all to do with it's been asked to advise on the government wants to extend the the basic 
rules that go, or the, the, the law underpinning all of the coronavirus restrictions by three months. And the Council of State said uh, that that was a good idea, but it also said in its advice that uh, the government's yo-yo strategy of lifting the measures too quickly and then having to reimpose them had caused a lot of confusion and it uh, damaged uh, people's willingness to adhere to the rules. And a better plan might be to ease measures more slowly in the short term and then that, yeah. so that in the long term the temporary laws, which are temporary after all, uh, can be dropped uh, sooner. Communications experts have also warned that the mixed messaging leaves people vulnerable to conspiracy theories and fake science because they can no longer see the wood for the trees. Yeah, they are afraid of a uh, uh, a Corona measure uh, Jojo effect, aren't they? And uh, yeah. yeah, that seems to be really um, what we have seen in the past months. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I understand that. Uh, I completely see that uh, uh, this is a problem, and that uh, uh, you know having a, having a new set of rules every every couple of weeks uh, uh, it, that's just confusing. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a mix, and it's inconsistent messaging as well. And uh, even this yeah. week, you had Yap van Dissel uh, published the uh, wrote I think in block letters on the top of the latest uh, OMT advice that you know, the only way to um, improve the situation is to in- influence people behavior but the bottom line is people's behavior is much better influenced if you have clear consistent rules if you're constantly chopping and changing in the end people just lose the plot they don't know what to follow any longer yeah Mm. and um yeah we have uh, we've been talking about the infection numbers now for a couple of times but yeah. uh how, how exactly are they looking at the moment uh not good uh, basically mm. um and uh Diedrich commas head of the national intensive care association said we were on course to hit code black in 10 days and he was speaking mm. on wednesday so that's uh, next weekend basically um just as sinterklaas yeah. is going around handing out presents um on Thursday, yeah, which, uh, which which probably will also be a super spreading event because you know exactly. that's when people get together and yeah yeah and of course it's Black Friday uh, today and uh, lots of people are piling into shops to grab bargains and uh, there's a worry that that will also be a super spreading event. But uh, yeah. on Thursday there were two thousand five hundred and forty five people in hospital, including five hundred and thirty who are in intensive care, and that uh, well, certainly the the basic hospital numbers very close now to the peak of around two thousand eight hundred we had around the turn of the year. Uh, although the ICU numbers were higher. In the last week, we've had an average of 22,000 infections a day, um, which is just mind-blowing, really. I think yeah. it's just every single day for a week. And in the hotspots, it's even worse. And Limburg this week had the highest rate of any region in Western Europe. One in 50 people in Limburg have tested positive in the last two weeks. So yeah. you know, if, if, if crazy, you, isn't it? It's yeah, just yeah. yeah. So even just you know, in an average, you say you have two hundred people live in the street, four of them will have tested positive for the virus. So you can see why it's spreading like wildfire. It's, yeah. I mean, it does. I mean, it looks as if the rate of increase may be starting to slow down, but it's it is a very gradual thing, and it's not fast enough. But on Thursday, infections grew by less than thirty percent a week for the first time in about seven weeks. It's still very high, thirty percent, but at least it's not sixty percent, which we had a month ago. And the positive test rate is leveling off, but again, more than twenty-two percent of all tests are positive at the moment, and the World Health Council or the World Health Organization's target rate is five percent. So yeah, yeah. So we have a long way to go. <laughs> we had a very, very long way to go, and the question is, will, will we get there soon enough? And will the, the, the this this slowdown in the growth rate happen fast enough to save us from code black? And that's really what these measures are aimed at doing. But yeah, given the government's previous track record in imposing measures too slowly and too late, it's not encouraging. 
Yeah, there was uh, so much corona news, we had to split it in two, because the weekend also saw a large number of riots and unrest after the latest lockdown came into effect. Or, yeah, we call it a lockdown, but yeah, not it wasn't, really a lockdown. Yeah, it wasn't though, really a lockdown, yeah. no. Uh, on Friday night, Rotterdam was the site of extremely violent riots. Uh, the trouble started around 8 p.m. when a group of around 100 people gathered on the call single in the city center in an impromptu protest against the coronavirus restrictions. Um, that was uh, yeah, around, right around the time bars and restaurants had to close their doors, according to the new rules. Mm. Within an hour, the crowd had grown in size and the situation turned nasty. Gangs of men began throwing fireworks and set several police cars on fire. The situation worsened into what Mayor Ahmed Abutaleb described as an orgy of violence. Uh, four people were injured by bullets shot by the police. Uh, on Monday, Abutaleb told journalists they were not in any danger, though. Um, and also, there were dozens of other arrests. Uh, and also on Saturday and Sunday, uh, there was unrest in the city, but not as violent as on Friday. Yeah, and uh, the riots weren't confined to Rotterdam either. No, not really. Uh, the violence spread to other cities throughout the country, um, That, yeah, mostly on Saturday and on Sunday. In The Hague, Mayor Jan van Zane invoked his emergency powers in the Schilderswijk and Transvaal neighborhoods after groups of young men set fires and threw fireworks at police. One person also threw a stone through the window of an ambulance, transporting a patient to the hospital. So yeah, very grim situation there in The Hague. Um, and there were also uh, riots in smaller towns, uh, such as in Urk, uh, Jongers, uh, of the police with fireworks and also in Roermond and Stein in Limburg and Bunschoten near Utrecht uh, saw riots. Mm. Uh, in Enschede and Groningen, youth set off fireworks, smashed shop windows and trashed bicycles. And in Roosendaal in Brabant, rampaging youth set several fires, including one close to a primary school. Uh, and that school was forced to close uh, their doors for the rest of the week because of the damage uh, the fire inflicted. Um, NRC newspaper wrote the situation was very similar to those in February when the curfew was introduced, mm. the so-called avondklokkerelle. Mm. Uh, the violence uh, on the first night escalated due to a uh, few police uh, on duty, uh, and that resulted in copycat behavior on the subsequent nights, but with lesser violence because more police were underground. Yeah, and um, yeah, and, and the violence kind of, it followed the protests, but it wasn't really that closely linked to the protests. I mean, the people rioting weren't no. really the people taking part in the protests in the daytime. Um, it seems to be that uh, a lot of messages. Yeah, that, went that was the only difference, right? Because yeah. uh, the Avondklokkerelle, there were there were there was there was a, a protest uh, in the afternoon, for example, in Eindhoven, and yeah. uh, later the, uh, later the uh, yeah late in the, in the in the afternoon and in the evening that that escalated into riots. Yeah. But now it was just riots all uh, all over the place. There weren't, weren't that many protests. So yeah, it's 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 a little bit um, misleading to say that these are uh, uh, cor yeah corona related protest related riots. It's just it was just people that came out with the one uh, with one purpose and that was uh, setting bikes on fire so uh, i think that's uh, that's the difference but uh, as you s if you look at how it spread through the country that was uh, in a very similar fashion that was similar to the curfew riots you know i think although you know, the, a lot of the writing was kind of gratuitous writing and people spreading messages on telegram and uh, encouraging their friends to turn up in a location with writing you can't totally detach it from the protests either i mean i think every time uh, it's not a coincidence that people have suddenly started writing when there's this kind of general mood of um, yeah, d d distrust and, yeah. and unhappiness in the way the government's handled the corona measures. So, you, know, you, you can't totally uncouple the two things. I think as well, it's, I do find it quite a disturbing development that uh, the, 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 the police are firing live rounds into crowds. I mean, 
you know, it's, it, it, it's, it, it's uh, obviously the police are under attack and so were the fire service as well. But nevertheless, I think uh, they fired warning shots first and then actually fired bullets at the crowd and I think four, possibly five people um, were injured. And given the size of the crowd and the level of the violence, it's uh, quite, um, quite disturbing to see uh, the, the, the police resorting to that measure. Yeah, it's uh, definitely something that you want to avoid, uh, yeah. shooting on people uh, uh, in crowds. But if you look at the videos coming from Rotterdam that night, and uh, uh, if you look at how bad the violence was, and yeah, there was just too little police presence there. They, they, they just didn't have the capacity to, to respond to the violence yeah. uh, as how they, how they wanted to do it, given all these circumstances, and given that you know they have to do something to stop the violence and to save the city from, uh, from getting destroyed, then yeah. uh, in, in life of that uh, I think it is understandable that they had shot uh, several rounds uh, 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 warning shots in, in to begin with and yeah at some point the police has to make a decision on, on, on how to deal with the rioters uh, um, uh, 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 in, uh, in another way if that's necessary uh, of course it's something that you need to avoid but you know sometimes it is not just simply necessary I think yeah but you, you, you really look to the police de-escalate in that situation I think one, one thing that usually makes uh, uh, violence worse is, is is when, um, yeah, it, it, it is when you get violence on both sides. You get extreme violence from the protesters, met by even more extreme, heavy-handed violence from the police. So, I really hope we don't see yeah, a repeat of that. Yeah, but the point of, of de-escalation, yeah. uh, uh, yeah. that ship had sailed at that point. I yeah. think if you look at uh, if you look at the videos. And if you don't want to get involved with police uh, violence, and just don't stand in a crowd of rioting people. I mean, it's just. Uh, I think it's very simple. This edition of the Dutch News Podcast is brought to you in association with MyDutchMortgage.online. Living in the Netherlands can be great, but it's not always cheap and property prices are rising fast. And life can get pretty hectic when you're trying to juggle house hunting with work and family. MyDutchMortgageOnline makes finding the right mortgage as convenient and affordable as possible. And it's all in plain English. With MyDutchMortgage.online, you can arrange your mortgage entirely online, in English and in six simple steps. And we should also mention it's a no mortgage, no fee deal. Seriously? Yes, you pay a one-off low fixed fee of 1950 euros and only once they've helped you secure your mortgage. So there it is. Log on to mydutchmortgage.online and start arranging your mortgage today. And it's also time once again to say thank you to our patrons for continuing to support us with your hard-earned cash. Your donations really are what keeps this podcast going in the absence of big handouts from Bill Gates and George Soros. <laughs> New patrons will get a shout-out on the podcast and the chance to ask us your questions about Dutch life and society. You can join our band of supporters for less than the cost of a cup of coffee or a glass of wine per month, and you can't enjoy those things at the moment anyway. So there's never <laughs> been a better time to sponsor us. And all you have to do is go to www.patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash DutchNewsNL. Now, looking for a job that pays up to 45 euros an hour? Well, you could do worse than busking, according to a study by researchers at Tilburg University. However, there is a catch. Busker's income varies widely as it's entirely dependent on people's goodwill and tolerance. A bit like hosting a podcast, really. <laughs> so the researchers spent three months listening to buskers on the streets of Cologne to try to find out how they could maximise their donations. It turns out that classical music is a bigger owner than folk or jazz, Sundays are the most lucrative day of the week, and performing with a child boosts your takings as well. 
People are also inclined to give more in bad weather because they feel sorry for buskers and they'll be more generous if they're with a group of friends and want to impress them. And it really does make a difference if you're any good. The average busker in the German city earns 23 euros an hour, but that goes up to around 28 euros if the quality of the music increases. The researchers didn't specify what counted as good quality music, but I'm guessing that churning out Dire Straits' greatest hits doesn't bring home the bacon. I was thinking, why are you talking about uh, buskers uh, in German cities? But it was actually a, a research done by a Dutch university, right? So It was done by Tilburg University, yeah. They, they did the research in Cologne because there's a law in Cologne that, that musicians have to move on after 30 minutes. You can't stand more than 30 minutes in one spot. And that meant oh, they, really? could, they could sample lots of different musicians in a, in a short time in the same place. Yeah. Oh, okay. So they actually thought about this. Yeah, I yeah. think in, in the Netherlands, buskers need a permit. So, yeah, uh, yeah they... Um, of course they do. It's... Yeah, of course they do. Yeah, yeah naturally. They yeah, have th- to. there has to be an umptonar involved somehow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering, do you have to audition for the municipality in order to get a permit or not? Yeah, and do you have to submit bonnages for all your takings as well? Definitely. And your yeah, taxes. Definitely. Yeah. So, uh, who earned the most? Uh, which musician uh, earned the most? Well, if you played jazz or folk, that was only good for 11 euros an hour. Uh, while classical music and pop generate around 27 euros an hour. So, yeah, g- good news that folk music is uh, is not learning at all. So And jazz. And jazz as well, yeah. On Sundays, buskers can expect to bring in around 36 euros an hour, and uh, groups with children had the highest earnings. They earned about 45 euros. People aged over 35 also earned far better. They earned 41 euros compared to 26 for under 30s. Uh, in terms of donations, women more generous than men. Buskers earn around 26 an hour from female donors, but just 20 euros from men. And if you busk at the weekend, uh, you're best to stay in bed on Tuesday and Wednesday when earnings drop to below 20 euros an hour as well. Hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Looking at Hugo de Jonge's shoes, I think we can positively give him a ukulele and put him somewhere in the streets yeah. of Cologne and people would think that he is a busker. Yeah. Um, and uh, mm. yeah, if you want to have a busker playing jazz, I think we could also just give a cello to Boquito and put him somewhere in, in Cologne. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that will uh, result in the same music as the average jazz player. But Definitely. That's, just, uh, that's just my opinion. Yeah, although, although, although I don't think we should give Hugo de Jong any more encouragement to start crooning again. <laughs> if you've seen that video of him uh, performing uh, White Christmas... I still have nightmares about that even now, a year later. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Another PR disaster. It was. Well, one of many. One of many. Yeah, yeah. or Fred Krapperhaus as well could just stand in the street and do his uh, Ode to the Face Mask. Maybe we should just uh, put all these uh, songs into the podcast. Maybe then people will actually know <laughs> what we're talking about. We cannot suffer uh, alone, Gordon. We Absolutely need to share not, this no. with the rest we, of the world. We, we, we yeah. need to share the pain. We need to have some group therapy here. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So... Uh, here are uh, Minister Grapperhaus en Minister de Jong with their songs. Kunt u dan misschien nog even een ode aan de mondkap brengen? Misschien. Oké, okay, maar dan een liedje uit mijn jeugd. Ja, heel goed. Oké, okay, dus zeg mondkapje, waar ga je heen? Naar het vuil, naar het vuil. Zeg mondkapje, vind je het niet erg dat ik niet huil? Dat ik niet huil. Ja, dit is uit mijn jeugd. Nou, ik moet zeggen, uh, ja. ijzersterk, ja. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Ongelooflijk zeg. Oh, ja. hey, hey. Speciaal voor uw schoonmoeder, hè? Ja, ja, ja. Just like the ones we used to know. Het is een crooner, het is een crooner. Where the treetops glisten and children listen. Het <laughs> is echt ongelooflijk. To the sleigh bells in the snow. 
the uh, formation parties. Uh, no, uh, there's something else I need to talk about first. Uh, Thanksgiving was yesterday. Yes. Uh, do you remember what happened around Thanksgiving uh, last year? Yes, I do. In fact, this is something we should, I think, give thanks for every year. Um, in yeah. the Netherlands from now on. <laughs> she give thanks for uh, the fact that this is the anniversary of the meltdown of uh, Forum for Democracy. Uh, yes, yeah. yes. Oh, what a good time it was. It I was mean, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. For those who don't remember the details, uh, this was when uh, Thierry Baudet uh, briefly resigned as leader of Forum for Democracy and then staged an election at which he was uh, resoundingly reinstated. But in the meantime, the other members of Forum for Democracy, while they were in yeah. control, and I think we should have this commemorated in some kind of ceremony where the, the members of Forum for Democracy actually changed the locks on the offices so Baudet couldn't get back in and he was filmed yeah. standing outside the door trying to get in. <laughs> on his useless keys. I mean, there must be it was possible to do some kind of procession, oh, yeah, right, to yeah. the forum, forum offices with a set of keys that don't work. I think we can... Accompany, accompanied by classical musicians. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And something with yellow curtains or golden curtains. And uh, yeah, if, I mean, like um, uh, when the, uh, in the UK you have the state opening of parliament, uh, uh, they ceremonically inspect the cellars yeah. for, for gunpowder, don't they? I think we, sh- we, we in, in a couple of centuries we'll have a similar weird um, uh, exactly. tradition yeah. uh, in, in Dutch politics uh, based, on, based on this story. All right, let's go to the actual news. The formation parties agreed on a fund of billions of euros in order to reduce greenhouse emissions and that is of course if the negotiations result in a new cabinet. That's what the NRC newspaper reported this week. According to the climate law accepted in 2019, the Netherlands has to reduce its carbon dioxide emissions by 49% in 2030 compared to 1990 levels. But the Central Planning Agency calculated that this goal will not be met if we uh, continue on the way we are uh, doing now. And a reduction between 38 and 48% will probably be accomplished. But with the new climate agreement, uh, the four formation parties, VVD, CDA, D66 and ChristenUnie uh, set the bar even higher. They are aiming for a reduction of 55% by 2030. Uh, the government will borrow a sum up to 50 billion euros, which will be spent in the coming nine years. In the so-called train document, which ChristenUnie leader Gert-Jan Segers accidentally left on board the train last week, it could be read that both CDA and VVD are surprisingly open to measures to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, but NRC writes that in return, nuclear energy will uh, come back onto the table uh, uh, and will be included in the, in the package uh, to tackle climate change in the new cabinet. Uh, the climate fund is not the only large fund the formation parties are talking about. Uh, they also have a similar plan in mind for the reduction of nitrogen emissions. Uh, that money will be used to buy out polluting farmers. It was expected, as we said last week, that the four parties would reach a coalition agreement sometime in the near future, but the NOS reports that a so-called Sinterklaas Accord is probably not going to happen around uh, December 5th because Prime Minister Mark Rutte is uh, currently too busy with uh, yeah. you know, drawing up new corona restrictions and measures. They just can't multitask basically they can't fight a pandemic and form a government at the same time. No, no, no they really have to uh, separate those two. Yeah, and, and of course the Germans have now officially beaten us haven't they? The Germans have a government y- Yeah, the Germans b- beat us what's that? And also uh, Sweden beat us as well but luckily for them for us they, uh, they don't have a government anymore uh, I think Sweden broke the record of the short coalition ever because I think the the previous one was held by Balkan and the Ain, which yeah. uh, famously lasted only 88 days yes. yeah so um, yeah another record stolen from us and um, yeah going back to the coalition negotiations uh, they were set to take place
place again on the Zwaluweberg estate in Hilversum this weekend, but they now have been moved to the uh, logement in The Hague, which is uh, closer by the, uh, the yeah. Prime Minister's office. It's within cycling distance from all the yeah. ministers, yeah. So they can still get to the supermarket before it shuts as well, after they've finished. <laughs> exactly. So. And there have also been some elections uh, this week. Yeah, in uh, 11 municipalities that are set to merge into four larger ones later this year, people could go to the ballot to elect their new city councillors. Uh, the biggest merger will take place in Brabant, where five existing municipalities will be replaced by the Land van Kuik municipality with a population of 90,000 people. And elsewhere in Brabant, two, two municipalities will merge into Maashorst and two new local authorities will be created in Noord-Holland, where Pummerend is merging with Beemster. Imagine uh, merging with Pummerend. That's, that's not something that... It's, uh, it's, it's a yeah. shocker, isn't it? Yeah. And of course, uh, Beemster is a, is a very rural kind of uh, local authority and Pummerend is a much more urban kind of place. It's, it, it, it's a strange marriage, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Poor people from Beemster. Yeah. And also, uh, Lange Dijk and Heer Hugo Waard will become Dijk and Waard. Yeah. Someone already thought uh, hard about that name. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The elections uh, were spread over three days to reduce the risk of coronavirus infections, much like uh, uh, the general elections in uh, March 2021. As usual, local parties came out on top in most of the elections. But uh, yeah, there was one surprising result, and that's that the CDA uh, won the elections in Land van Kuyk. And uh, yeah, as we all know, the Christian Democrats uh, are not in their best state uh, they've ever been in. Um, They are having dramatic results in the polls currently. I think they poll at only six seats or something yeah. and if you keep in mind that at some point they had 40 seats it's just uh, yeah it's, 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 they're doing terrible yeah and of course uh, this municipality is, is in Brabant and right on the border with Limburg because in both those provinces the CDR have had local problems as well haven't they I mean Limburg there's been a big corruption scandal with the local CDR exactly. party yeah. and in Brabant they've uh, gone into this mess with uh, going into coalition with the uh, form for democratie and then pulling out of it yeah so. but what's even more interesting these five municipalities are, are quite rural so yeah that they managed that CDR managed to win so much su- support among mm-hmm. farmers that are supposedly very angry at CDR yes. It's uh, supposed to be uh, defecting on mass to the uh, Boerenbeweging, Boerenbeugerbeweging, yeah. yeah. which didn't take part in the election. Yeah. So, yeah, they didn't have an alternative. But, yeah, it still says, I think, a lot that CDR uh, still managed to win so much votes there. Yeah. And the rest of the Netherlands will vote for new local uh, councils on March 16th in 2022. And I don't really understand why they always move these elections of municipalities that are merging yeah. to a, a year earlier. I n- never really understand that. But yeah, that's that's, that's what they do. Because yeah. there's also a merger. I think VASP is being folded into Amsterdam. And that is happening on the same day as the regular elections. Uh, okay, so it, they don't form a new No, they're not, not creating a new municipality. Just... No, they're, they're just expanding Amsterdam. Yeah. Yeah, and that's probably the difference. Sports news. Max Verstappen says anything is possible in the last two Grand Prix races of the season, but with his lead in the Drivers' Championship disappearing faster than Hugo de Jong's credibility, he will have to be at his very best to fight off a late challenge by Lewis Hamilton. The world champion won last weekend's race in Qatar by a handsome margin, while Verstappen had to concentrate on damage limitation after he was penalised five grid places for ignoring a double yellow flag in qualifying. Verstappen said he was happy with the outcome, especially as he bagged the extra point for the fastest lap, and that leaves him with a slender eight-point advantage as the Formula One circus approaches its denouement in Dubai and Saudi Arabia. Yeah, all very fun places to go to. Yeah, I wonder if he can uh, pop into a local branch of Yimbo in either of those two cities. (laughs) 
<laughs> There's probably one somewhere in the neighborhood there. Yeah, closer at home than you expected, yeah. uh, definitely. Yeah, this yellow flag uh, situation, it just uh, dragged on and dragged on. Mm. I mean, um, qualifying was, of course, the day before the actual race. And uh, Max Verstappen ignored the yellow flags. You think it was a very clear case. Um, but the, the FIA decided to wait almost 24 hours to uh, to confirm that he was going to get the five-grade place penalty. Yeah, and there's a lot of op-pef, wasn't there? Because his team boss was was angry at the marshal waving the flags, but that turned out to be completely unjustified. And uh, the FIA have put him on a, some kind of refresher training course, I think. Yeah, he was also uh, penalized by that. Yeah. Because, of course, the, the marshals that are standing on, on the side of the track, they are, you know also in a very dangerous place and they are the ultimate authority to decide what is the situation on the track so if they decide to wave a double yellow flag or a single yellow flag that is their decision and nobody can do anything about it and uh, it's just strange that um, looking at how much technology there is also on board that uh, uh, Verstappen just decided to ignore the yellow flags and even though there was only a couple of seconds uh, to go uh, with the qualification I think it was at the very end it was just a a very stupid mistake Uh, but nonetheless uh, Lewis Hamilton was so good that even if he had started on uh, P2 I think if that was mm. um, his original place then still Hamilton would probably have won the Grand Prix anyway um, so yeah this was just uh, it was damage control and uh, Verstappen did it very well it, it, the, the championship is uh, getting more and more exciting yeah it's, uh, it's heating up nicely uh, out in the desert and um Ajax are still going strong in Europe, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they made it five wins out of five in the Champions League group stages with a 2-1 win in Turkey against Besiktas. Uh, Sebastian Aller continued his scoring streak with his eighth and ninth goals of the competition and that equals the club record set by Yari Lipmanen back in the glory days. The RD reported that Ajax have already earned 70 million euros from their European success this season and they're guaranteed a seeded spot in the last 16. In the other European football, PSV beats Sturm Graz 2-0 and they need just a draw at Real Sociedad in two weeks to progress in the UEFA League. And even if they don't manage that, they will drop down to the Conference League, so they'll still be playing European football after Christmas. Feyenoord and Azad Alkmaar, they've won their Conference League groups with a match to spare. Feyenoord drew 2-2 at Slavia Prague, where Cyril Dessers continued his habit of scoring goals in injury time. Azet got the point they needed away to another Czech side, Jablonek. And Fitessa Arnhem has still got hope. Uh, they drew 3 all at Rennes, but Tottenham surprisingly lost 2-1 in Slovenia to Mura. Mura are Fitessa's last opponents in the final group game on December the 9th. And it's the first time since 2012 that four Dutch clubs have been in Europe after Christmas. Hmm. Well, well done to, uh, to these four clubs. Yeah. Uh, there are so many exotic names uh, passing by in this segment that it's almost <laughs> as if this is the European sports news podcast almost. Yeah, it's a Eurovision Song Contest uh, equivalent. In yeah, football. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I blame the Conference League. If we didn't have that one, then uh, yeah, it would have been a much smaller segment. And it was a sting in the tail for Feyenoord fans uh, traveling to Prague. Yes, because their co-pilot for KLM's flight from Amsterdam to Prague uh, was an Ajax supporter. Oh, really? Yeah, not just any Ajax fan either. <laughs> it was it was the king himself, oh. who still occasionally does co-piloting stints in what, after all, is his airline. Yeah, <laughs> it still is. If KLM doesn't decide to uh, to move to the UK, exactly, at yes. some point in the future, yeah, it'll probably relocate at some point but for the moment it is Royal Dutch Airlines a Feyenoord fan spotted him boarding the flight and apparently he cracked a few jokes over the intercom while they're in the air as well I think he's a Feyenoord fan now the supporter told the RD I mean I'm kind of thinking the King should really either support his hometown team Ardern Haag uh, or Willem Twee because they're named after his great great grandfather yeah 
no, he should be above all the uh, all the parties, neutral. right? Yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah, he should he should just support everyone, including uh, even uh, Feyenoord, including VVV Venlo and, yeah, and uh, Sparta, RBC Roosendaal, yeah. and Sparta. Yeah. yeah. Police in Almere too had a busy night last week, not because rioters were destroying the city, but because a security guard made a very disturbing report. The man was on duty Thursday night at the local waste plant when he raised the alarm. Yoo-hoo, I'm here, come and find me, the guard heard coming from somewhere underneath the piles of garbage. The police immediately launched a search and rescue operation to find what they assumed was a person. Uh, dozens of officers searched the waste plant in pitch dark and it was uh, soon discovered the origins of the sound wasn't a person but in fact a stuffed nintje. <laughs> the miffy in case was a so-called uh, verstoppertje nintje. Mm. It's uh, used to play hide and seek. Uh, the stuffed animal is supposed to uh, be hidden somewhere indoors and it makes noises to help children <laughs> find it. Uh, but somehow uh, this was activated under the the garbage. An Almere citizen called Rick later called the police that it was probably one of his children's toys. He threw it away a couple of days earlier because the Nainche wouldn't stop making the sounds. Uh, he got terribly annoyed with it and he just threw it away and he apologized to the police for not taking out the batteries. Uh, he was offered the Nainche back, but he declined. But surprisingly, he, he said no. Yeah. No. I, I feel for this guy, i got to say. I mean, having been driven to absolute distraction by one of these terrible toys that, that yeah. should be banned frankly, for just for the sake of people's general well-being. He then finds that even if he chucks it in the, in the landfill site, he still can't get rid of it. It still comes back to haunt him. Yeah, yeah. I think he, I, I kind of blame him, though, because <laughs> I, I think you should, if you buy this toy, then you should know that this is not a good idea. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is kind of his own fault. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I don't know. But um, it is a horrible nightmare scenario, I think, if you're just a nice security guard yeah. looking out of the your waste plant, <laughs> which you are protecting, and all of a sudden you hear this terrible noise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a nightmare situation and uh, very scary. Yeah, <laughs> it could be a script for a horror movie. You know? Yeah, <laughs> imagine. Uh, I think your your nightmare will be this: you are in northern Iraq, you walk into a jumbo, <laughs> and the only thing you see is Dick Advocat yeah. saying, "You <laughs> uh, uh, who <laughs> come and get me." <laughs> Yeah. And then you run out and then you uh, <laughs> jump into a plane of uh, which is flown by Willem Alexander yeah. and he puts on the dire straits. So, uh, <laughs> we have to uh, listen to it the entire flight. This is probably this is becoming very macabre. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We should, we should stop <laughs> we should this stop. episode. It's becoming way too disturbing. Yeah. That is thankfully all we have for you this week. Uh, this podcast <laughs> is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. My thanks to Paul Peters, I'm Gordon Darroch, and we'll be back next week with Robin Pascoe. Mm-hmm.